Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO Podcast. I'm John Lin, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging, and we want to help you be more successful. And today's guest is Dr. Ray Gessinger. He is the former CIO, and he's Senior VP and CMO at Tegria. Welcome, Ray. Hey, thanks. Appreciate being here. Yeah, excited for this discussion. I always love having recovering CIOs on. Uh, we've had a love few over the over the years, but you know, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about yourself and your move from kind of practicing doctor to then CIO and now at Tegria. Yeah, great. Um, so I am a uh, internal medicine physician, still licensed, have been for uh, quite a long time. Uh, very early on in my career. Um, I made the determination that I really I wanted to make the most difference to the most people. And really, if I did that only by practicing medicine, I was only going to make a difference in about 25,000 lives over the course of my entire career. Wow. Um, and so I understood and saw the opportunity in healthcare information technology. And so started training to be an informaticist back in the early 90s. Um, And through leveraging kind of the skills that I acquired and the opportunities that were given to me, kind of moved on to first be uh, an instructor in informatics, then a director of informatics. Eventually, those roles morphed into and became uh, and evolved into uh, the opportunity to be a chief medical information officer, kind of like a senior leading uh, physician in the organization. Um, and as that time went on, I gave up more and more of my practice and took on more and more responsibility um, as, as a technologist. Um, I had two stints with two different organizations as chief medical information officer. And then for just the last eight and a half years, I had the privilege of actually going back to uh, the system that trained me in medicine uh, and be their chief information officer for uh, just uh, just under nine years. It was a pretty remarkable experience. Um, and then the time was right. Uh, I had a great conversation with uh, Tegria's uh, CEO. Uh, he and I became pretty good friends and hit it off. And really, to me, it felt like I reached a point where I could do no more at the health system level. And so I chose to uh, partner with the folks here at Tegria and, and really try and continue to extend my reach. And hopefully at this point, really make a difference in millions of lives rather than those 25,000 that I first thought I was going to be able to touch. What a fascinating way to, to look at it. It's interesting you did the math. I guess that makes you perfect to be an informaticist when you do that kind of math. But like, I mean, it's a fascinating way to look at it, the impact that you can have. And I, I've heard a lot of people who, who feel the same way, right? I can impact more people this way. Mm-hmm. Tell me what it was like to, because I mean, obviously we've had doctors become CIOs, right? It's interesting mm-hmm. to have a doctor become informaticist, become CIO. What did you that bring to your organization? The fact that one, you'd practice medicine, and then two, you'd studied informatics in a deep way. Because mm-hmm. we've seen that a, a fair bit. And talk about the value of that. Yeah, you know, the, the value really is about the, the transition, right? I mean, all of the initial systems were about the business operations of, of healthcare. And, and we had this dramatic change through the late 90s and early aughts that really said, boy, look at let's let's use technology to make a clinical difference. Um, the problem was that we probably were a little bit ahead of the skills, the technology <laughs> itself. And 
honestly, there were not a lot of physicians and nurses and clinicians who were ready to be able to take on a role in some of those different industries. So the software was designed by people who maybe received care, but not necessarily had to figure out how to deliver it. And so over time, more of us, both physicians and nurses, you know, began to kind of transition over into this new field and really now begin to help guide those individuals who are coding the software to make it be something that was going to be meaningful for, for those who had to use it. And now we kind of reached, you know, what, 2023 now. And it's not just about designing software for the providers and for, uh, for uh, all the caregivers, but now we're also coding the software to be meaningful and effective and efficient for our patients to, to actively interact with that software as well. So to me, it actually feels like a very natural transition. Um, it's just that in many cases, the technology got ahead of the those people with the most experience to be able to design it. Yeah, that's a good description of the evolution. And I would describe it also as the evolution of, you know, keeping the internet running and the desktops lit up, right? Yeah. Versus mm-hmm. actually impacting clinical care, which is a huge difference of the CIO. So, but they are directly related. I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of the conversation I had once I stepped into the role as a chief information officer, as opposed to the medical information officer, really was to kind of foster some eye opening conversations about what it meant to be ready for natural disasters, for cyber attacks. And we had to really think about how we built out our infrastructure in very different ways than had been thought about before. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, even extended to the simplest things, I I was recently talking to Innovate Medical about their card on wheels and the fact that (laughs) it can alleviate burnout when you do the nurse pulls it and it works right? (laughs) or jar systems Mm -hmm. that does charging so that the iPad is actually charged properly and that you can find it, right? Like Mm -hmm. these small Mm -hmm. things make a big impact when it comes to burnout. So it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as you look back at your, you know, the time as CIO, Oh, you know, you can include CMIO if you'd like. Uh, sure. What's the most successful project you worked on? And, and talk about what made it a success. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, it feels very cliche after after 20 years of doing this. But all of the work that we did during that interval to get clinicians off of paper for their entire process and and to effectively and efficiently be able to use an electronic health record. Whatever people may want to say about the efficiency or the, you know, kind of what the design of that software looks like right now, it's been a huge difference just in the data that it has generated. And now that all the data has been generated, all of the knowledge that we are gaining from this. So you think about all the artificial intelligence that is now built on the last really, you know, 15 years worth of clinical information that has gone into those systems. And it, it's a huge victory for the entire industry for the, for the most part. Yes, we still have a ton of work that needs to be done for doctors, nurses, and patients combined um, and continued optimization of software. But, you know, if we wait, you know, it's, it's, how's the expression, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And, <laughs> and, and that really has been one that I've, I've utilized quite a bit to say, all right, let's just get the best out there that we can. And then 
not forget about it. Let's just keep innovating. Let's just keep optimizing on top of what we've done. Yeah. Well, Tegri understands that. So they they mm-hmm. lived that that world for a long time. And, and you're right. You know, I look at the most exciting projects that are happening now. And if mm-hmm. you look at them and you go through that list mm-hmm. and you say, how many of these would have been possible if we didn't, if we were in the paper chart world still, right? If we didn't have an EHR. <laughs> yeah. Very few of them. Very so few I, them. I think it's a fine point. Uh, you know, you also have a obviously a passion for healthcare analytics, so much so mm-hmm. you you even wrote the book. You literally wrote the book on it <laughs> uh, called Analytics in Healthcare and Introduction, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I'm sure, uh, you know, you, you look at it and say, wow, you know, if you started in the 90s, that was early. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> You've mm-hmm. seen the evolution. So talk about that evolution of analytics and healthcare and maybe, you know, where are we at today in that evolution? Boy, all right. So first thing I, I, I should uh, say, I... I the book I edited the book and wrote a couple of the chapters. Gotcha. But okay. Much much smart, much smarter people than I uh, participated in the construction of of that narrative. Uh-huh. Um, and, and honestly, part of the reason we wrote the book was because at the time nothing existed, um, and because at the time I was pretty naive and figured this was a space that I needed to to really continue to to grow my knowledge in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's been a very interesting maturation because i mean healthcare is all about data and and the doctors and the nurses have always been the data processing machines um you know the computers that we had through the 70s 80s and 90s were able to regurgitate that information but not do anything for it so it was just data for data's sake and so you know if you think about that the data pyramid is things kind of go from data to information to knowledge and hopefully we've kind of reached the point that there's actually uh you know kind of visibility to some opportunities for that information to turn into wisdom to have the knowledge to turn into wisdom and be able to guide people in ways that we've never been guided before is i mean it's to me this is the next new horizon in healthcare is really going to be about how we utilize data. Um, And the data itself is going to be able to eventually inform and empower what I refer to as a silicon workforce. And that is being able to use artificial intelligence to be able to harvest the data that's collected and actually make some decisions. We do a lot of that today and it's augmented with with physicians um, insights. But I also think there's going to be an opportunity where a lot of this can actually just be peeled off from the doctors and nurses workload. And that and that to me is just it's exciting. I'm hoping my career extends long enough to really see where all of that comes to fruition. Yeah, I think this idea of Silicon workforce is fascinating. It probably mm-hmm. excites half the people and scares half the people. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, I mean, boy, you know, what is it that automation scares people, right? They, on one hand, they potentially fear losing a job. We, we know that there are not enough doctors and nurses. I was going to so, say, less so, so these there, there is, <laughs> the, the, the idea is to take away the work that they that's not very rewarding for those individuals and and give them more time to do the rewarding work. The second thing that people worry about is, you know, is there bias in the data and the rules that we write? Um, Is there the possibility that the VAI can make wrong decisions? And and the answer to both of those questions is yes. Um, But I don't know that that's any different than me. I have bias. 
I make mistakes. Um, and, you know, what we have to do is just continue to learn. And if you just look at what's happened in the evolution of GPT uh, between the fall and the spring and kind of how that alone has evolved, and then you take that across any other artificial intelligence and kind of fast forward potentially can happen over the next five years. It's almost mind boggling. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting you brought that up, right? It has taken over so much of the so many of the timelines of health IT companies of healthcare organizations saying how can we leverage this technology you know what would you say is the key to good informatics efforts which to me feel like the foundation to be able to get value from these technologies but you know what do you see as the good uh, you know informatics efforts that are needed right now Boy, it, it, that's first off, you know, that's probably a very complicated question to, to answer and go in lots of different directions. I mean, one probably is that we don't move too fast, right? That we that we take steps forward, but we do it with caution mm-hmm. um, and that we test our results um, and we test them and we test them and we test them again to make sure that there aren't uh, outputs or outcomes that are that do demonstrate bias. Right? We've already kind of uh, very clearly found that. We want to make sure that we that we we can we can minimize that. Um, you know, we we also want to make sure that we listen. We listen very carefully. We listen to what it is that the the clinicians need and want. We listen very carefully to what it is that the patients need and want. Um, And then we also make sure that we're solving real world problems, you know, so don't just design technology for technology's sake and don't uh, kind of find a solution in search of a problem. Let's figure out what problems it is we want to solve and then go back and figure out how to make the technology really do what we need to to solve that problem. Well, and isn't that the challenge for a healthcare organization with all these things kind of swirling right now, right? Mm-hmm, all of mm-hmm. these opportunities. What do you think are the main things healthcare organizations should be doing to make most of their data? And, you know, what areas should mm-hmm. they focus on? Is it different by organization or, or do you think there's some core ones that everyone should be doing? Yeah, I, I mean, it doesn't matter who you talk to in healthcare at this point. The two biggest things that every every system is struggling with is revenues um, and, and uh, clinician provider burnout, right, and high, high turnover. So really what they need to do is be creating environments that actually make their caregivers more successful in what they do. And in many cases, that's going to be more automation and more technology, you know, ambient voice sensitivity in exam rooms so, so that the providers are not having to document everything, right? They're just speaking, right? And, and, and that information is getting pulled out and documented for them. Um, you know, that we build better AI models to help facilitate diagnostic care, um, whether it's reading um, an EKG, reading an X-ray, interpretory, you know, interpreting laboratory data, and or making recommendations about what the best therapeutic intervention is for a patient based on their economics, their uh, social determinants of health, their genetics. I mean, all of those pieces need to, to get pulled together. And finally, the other thing is, if we're going to utilize data 
in a better way. I think we actually are going to have to really educate our users to be better interpreters of data. Um, you know, the whole concept of statistical process control and understanding variation in data is probably fairly foreign to most people. I mean, I've had a lot of training over the course of my career, and I am a terrible statistician. Um, <laughs> but, but I know two things. One, I know that there are really smart people out there that can interpret the data for me. I also know that there's really smart software that can help me interpret the data as well. And I spend a lot of time talking to some of those companies about how they can continue to make their software better so that the people who are left to interpret the data actually feel more confident in the decisions that they're making. It's interesting how this time period and what you just described that's being implemented at healthcare organizations is different than when we implemented EMR, right? Like in EHR. When we mm -hmm. did that, there was an existing process. Let's move it electronic. And in some ways it was mm -hmm. kind of the same process, but moved electronic. Of course, we could argue whether that was a good idea or bad. <laughs> it should have been redesigned. But now mm -hmm. we're taking an electronic process and like, trying to simplify it, uh, you know, like the ambient clinical mm -hmm. voice stuff, right? Uh, it, mm -hmm. It's interesting how different of a project that is and, and the mindset that's required, no? Well, you know, I think people are more prepared for the change. You know, when oh, you went from a horse to a car, that was a pretty dramatic change. But as they keep modernizing the car and making it faster and making it more powerful and adding doors and windshield wipers and, you know, all of those things are probably more appreciated changes rather than they are uh, kind of overwhelming changes. And I, I got to believe that most of the people who are providing health care today, two things. One, they understand what they have in the frustration. So anything we can do that can make it better is going to be is going to be uh, probably welcomed by them. The other thing is, I, I'm I'm I, I'm not a digital native, right? I, I'm a digital immigrant. I didn't come, grow up in the digital age. My kids grew up in the digital age, and their set of expectations is very different than mine. So I oftentimes kind of have to remember the perspective that I bring to the table isn't necessarily this. The, the majority perspective anymore. I have to really take the time just to see, you know, like my kids want something different. And honestly, there, there's almost two generations of physicians and nurses behind me at this point. And I have to take the time to make sure I understand what's important to them and what's going to make a meaningful difference to them. Yeah, that's a good point. I see that every day with my son who's uh, playing Roblox and uses voice to be able to text to the other people on Roblox, which would be such a foreign <laughs> idea to me. And it's so natural. Yep. To him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So interesting. So, you know, we, we talked about the workforce shortage. I think that's yeah. true with informaticists, even more maybe than doctors and nurses. I don't know. We don't have to fight over who's, who's worse, mm -hmm. but like, mm -hmm. how does a horse healthcare organization deal with this reality that there's just not enough informaticists? And let's be frank, a lot of the other industries are still in our informaticists because they can mm -hmm. pay more. You know, luckily we have the mission at least to you know, yep. retain yep. some people, but you know, how should yep. a healthcare organization deal with this lack of, of, you know, skilled informaticists? Well, you know, I mean, I mean, there's a couple of different ways, right? So so the first thing to do is is what can they do to upskill the people that they have, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so creating opportunities, creating education, internal and external uh, for those individuals. 
um, create pathways so that they're hiring people who have those skills rather than having upskilled them once they've gone in. Partner, partner with folks like Tegria and, and other organizations that, um, that have those skills at hand and also who have got the experience of having done this to 10, 20, 50 times over, uh, really to, to help make a difference. Um, and that's, you know, maybe, maybe at some point we need to let clinicians really focus on being clinicians and, and let other industries be able to come to the table and provide those more precise technical skills that need to bridge the, and uh, make those clinicians more successful, kind of step in and do the job that they do best. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how we navigate it. And it probably depends mm -hmm. on the size of the organization, right? Very uh, much. Mm -hmm. You know, rural organizations have already decided we can't do it. We have to outsource, you know, some mm -hmm. of the high end ones maybe are big enough mm -hmm. and somewhere in the middle, that's where it's hard, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, well, we always like to wrap up these uh, CIO podcasts with a little bit of career talk. So uh, give okay. us an idea. What career advice would you offer someone who's maybe just starting out in healthcare? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I have the opportunity to talk uh, frequently to chief medical information officers, right? The clinicians that are kind of coming out and kind of following in a, in a different pathway. And, and, and it's very different. And, and it's, I, I suggest that they really take time and think about healthcare operations and think about how healthcare operations is inefficient and really dream about how it potentially could be different, right? Don't just think about how we're gonna increment changes in care anymore, but let's think about how we're going to fundamentally transform care. Be just crazy imaginative. And, and that's, that's actually the best part of what I'm getting to do right now in, in my job is, is to be crazy imaginative. And I think that is what we need in healthcare right now is just, transformative ideas rather than incremental change. Wow. I think Steve Jobs talked about the the crazy people that uh, dream big and uh, <laughs> actually mm -hmm. do it. So that that's a that's a great advice. I love it, and and that is the fun part of uh, most of our jobs, right? Is uh, mm -hmm. is doing something that we you know a lot of people think isn't possible. So, well, Ray, I appreciate you taking time to share these insights and perspectives. Uh, I loved it, and I loved hearing about your experience. And look forward to staying connected with you. And thanks everyone for watching and listening. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com or search for the CIO podcast by Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast applications. Thanks, Ray. Hey, thanks a lot, Josh. Great. Appreciate it.